baby it is thursday welcome to it and happy thursday to you i'm Derek hunter it is the 13th of october 2022 and like i said it is a thursday getting ready for friday the 14th and a glorious weekend ahead appreciate you listening downloading sharing telling a friend all that good stuff thank you thank you uh thank you and uh, support the show get extra bonus contents and what have you at patreon.com slash Derek hunter podcast or Derek hunter dot locals dot com check it out bring the kids just don't let them listen to the thing but enter the contest and look at the pictures of the family and everything appreciate all the support now i've successfully clunked my mug around it's tea not coffee because coffee's gross let's get on with the show where do you start where do you the president sat down with normally the president giving an interview is news not necessarily the most exciting newsworthy thing on the face of the earth but a president makes news because they're president of the united states right no not in this case now when you sit down with cnn there's nothing there's nothing jake tapper is about the best thing cnn has going for it insofar as whether or not they practice journalism in any way shape or form and uh, they don't. He doesn't. He can't anymore. At one point, you can't see it, so you, there's no point in talking about it. But at one point, Joe's got his cheat sheet, his little crib notes, things on those cards that he carries around with him all the time. He brags about carrying these cards around. And he drops it. Tapper picks it up for him and gives it back to him. Now, here you go, Mr. President. Don't... Uh, wouldn't want you to have to think on your feet or anything. Take your, your grip notes back. Like, what What kind of reporter does it? The president can bend over and pick it up all he wants, but you don't do it for him. That's his cheat sheet. You're supposed to be getting the honest sense of this president. There were no difficult questions asked, no follow-ups. He did ask about Hunter. Oh, they say they might have enough money, enough evidence to... Indict your son. And what does Joe say? I'm proud of my son. I'm, he had an addiction and he got over it. He's past it. Okay. You still never have acknowledged, you know, your your grandkid, your granddaughter. There, uh, That might have been an interesting question. Why don't you acknowledge that granddaughter? But Jake Tapper doesn't do that. Jake Tapper doesn't bother to say, you know, your your son, his tax problems stem from... The millions and millions of dollars he received from overseas. There's an email that says in this company they're setting up, 10% goes to the big guy, and you're the big guy. What was that all about? No question about that. No question about um, your his repeated claims, insistence, really, that he never once met with and discussed or anything having to do with Hunter's foreign businesses. Meanwhile, records show that he's met with, as vice president, Hunter's business partners about a dozen times. About a dozen times. Now, why would he be meeting with Hunter's business partners? Why? Oh, my, friend would, my friend's going to be in town, Dad. Will you just meet with him? It'll be a neat thing if uh, you could meet with the vice president oh sure yeah as long as we don't discuss anything that you guys do that i get 10 percent of 
Nothing like that from Jake Tapper. That'd be too much like journalism, ladies and gentlemen. Way too much like journalism. Now, CNN is supposed to be remaking themselves in the model of honest journalism. I don't think they understand the word honest journalism. But there was one clip I thought worth playing. Remember last week when it was revealed that at a fundraiser, big money fundraiser, big rich people up in New York, Joe Biden warned about the coming Armageddon. Armageddon is a coming. We're a getting to Armageddon with Vladimir Putin. For, closest we've ever been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And you sit there and you go, well, this guy's wildly insecure and he's trying to compare himself to JFK. He's he's unpopular. Nobody likes Joe. Nobody wants to be around Joe. Nobody wants to campaign with Joe. The only person who uh, will campaign with Joe is David Trone here in Maryland because he's got more money than he knows what to do with, and he sucks up to uh, Joe Biden, and he hasn't come. And he can he's running against somebody with no money, and he's given his campaign ten million dollars, so he'll be fine. That's it. People in tight races not interested in Joe Biden. So he's got to make himself seem important. He's desperate to seem... His whole life has been spent trying to seem important. Lying about... Oh, yeah, no, I was in the civil rights movement. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. You you never were. You've admitted in the past you weren't. And now that it's super fashionable, you go, oh, no, I was totally in the civil rights movement. No, you weren't. Talking to truck drivers. Oh, I was a truck driver. Talking to a group of uh, rabbis. Oh, you know what? I uh, basically am I'm honorary Jewish, just like I'm honorary Puerto Rican because I spent so much time in Puerto Rico. Why can't we find any evidence that you spent any time in Puerto Rico? No, it doesn't matter. Stop. I watched West Side Story. Isn't that enough? It's the same thing. <laughs> I was both a shark and a jet, depending on who I'm talking to. That's how I am. That's who I am. That's Joe Biden. He's all things to all people, when he's really nothing to anybody. Well, he decided to tell a bunch of rich donors that he is just like JFK. They probably sat there and thought, because if you're giving Joe Biden money, you got to be pretty dumb. It doesn't matter that you've got money. It's probably in New York. It's inherited wealth. And you get uh, one or two generations away from the people who actually earned the wealth. And you find that they get dumber and more liberal. It's not a coincidence. So the uh, he wanted to impress those people. So he said, "Oh no, we're on the verge of Armageddon, closest thing we've been since uh, since the the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis." Don't worry, I'll protect you casually, casually. Now, if we're moving towards Armageddon, the President of the United States has a moral obligation to inform the people of the United States of America so that they might be able to take some precautions to protect themselves from the aforementioned Armageddon. Joe hasn't. See, we didn't pay the price of admission. You want to find out what's going on in this country. You want the truth from the president of the United States. You've got to pony up to the president's campaign. That should be a question that Jake Tapper asks. It's not what Jake Tapper asks. Because the question really is, why are you telling donors this? Why aren't you telling the American public this? What makes donors so special? The answer is they give him money. But he can't say that because he's supposed to be middle class lunch bucket blue collar Joe, right? Can't be that he's trying to suck up to these people with money. He's trying to seem or sound important to people with money. 
Or it can't even be that he's trying to tell the truth to the people with money because he thinks they deserve it since they gave him money. He's middle-class lunch bucket blue-collar Joe. Of course, we don't know. Jake Tapper didn't ask. The next time Joe Biden does a sit-down interview, it'll be long past the expiration date on this scandal. And so Joe Biden will never be asked about it because journalism sucks. But CNN's reset to doing real journalism has been completely and totally pathetic. If this Jake Tapper is their best journalist and he doesn't ask any serious questions. But like I said, he did ask about the Armageddon comment a little bit. And Biden's answer was um, what left a lot to be desired, shall we say. Let's listen to it. When people hear the word Armageddon, they get scared from used by a U.S. president. They get scared. Do you think in any way discussing this type of thing publicly, openly, Putin's possible use of nuclear weapons might have the opposite effect of what you want? It might make some of our wobblier European allies be even more scared of confronting Putin. Well, no, I don't think so at all. I think, look, there was a a directed... When I'm talking about, I'm talking to Putin. He, in fact, cannot continue with impunity to talk about the use of a tactical nuclear weapon as if that's a rational thing to do. The mistakes get made and the miscalculation could occur. No one can be sure what would happen and it could end in Armageddon. And you still are afraid of that, though, that it could? Well, no, I don't think anyone, any rational person saying the initial use of tactical nu- of a nuclear weapon killing thousands of people does not have the prospect of leading to something that can be way out of control. Now, what the hell is he talking about there? It's Armageddon. You can't have that. It's going to be this, that, and the other. Well, so you believe that it's still a possibility. Well, no. Then why the hell did you say it a week ago? Now, what's interesting is he told us why he said it a week ago in his answer. He said, when I'm saying that, I'm talking to Putin. You're talking to Putin? You're saying, now, there's something to be said for putting messages to foreign leaders, particularly hostile foreign leaders, in your remarks as president of the United States. Foreign governments pay attention to the remarks of the president of the United States. But if he's trying to speak to Vladimir Putin, is he trying to say that there was some sort of Russian spy in this high-dollar Democrat fundraiser? Because there's no recording of it whatsoever. It was a private fundraiser for very rich liberals up in Manhattan. He's trying to, he was talking to Putin how? Did he have it on good authority that the apartment was bugged? Or did he just go, well, if I say it there, it'll leak, probably. Let's just go that route. No. This guy has an incredible case of jealousy of, um, let's just say, uh, envy of a certain appendage that involves, he wants to matter. He wants to be the big man on campus, to put it in terms that he would understand. And he's just not. He's just not. The things that he's done have been unpopular. The things that he's gotten accomplished have made things worse in this country economically. He is a failure as president of the United States, but he wants to be loved. He desperately wants to be loved. You should have a president who doesn't want to be loved. 
who wants to be respected. That would be much better than being loved. Joe Biden wants to be loved. Probably I would assume that his parents didn't love him all that much. Just judging by the way that he's parented his kids, I don't think he, I think he learned that lesson from his parents. He's more interested in himself and his career and his legacy than he was in any of his kids. I don't know how else you use, you exploit the death of family members so readily, so easily, and so often. It just seems great. If you're really traumatized by this, you don't bring it up at, uh, at every turn. You don't lie and say that your wife and kid were killed by a drunk driver when they weren't killed by a drunk driver. The fact that you lost your wife and your kid is sad enough, but he's so insecure he has to add that extra element into it. No, no, he's a super victim. He's an even bigger victim than you know. That tells you there's something wrong with this person's psyche. And it tells you that Joe Biden is lying about why he said what he said. He wasn't trying to send a message to Vladimir Putin. Make those comments publicly if you want to send a message to Vladimir Putin. Pick up the phone if you want to send a message to Vladimir Putin. He's trying to send a message to Democrat donors that if we don't all die in nuclear annihilation in the next couple of weeks, you'll have me to thank. You're welcome, world. Now cut a big check for my re-election campaign. And it is disconcerting to hear the President of the United States say, holy cow, we're closer to Armageddon than we've ever been since 1962. But it's more disconcerting to then know that the White House comes out and walks that back. It'd be better, we'd be better off, the world would be better off if we had a President that didn't have to constantly be walked back. They said, no, Nothing in our intelligence assessment about nuclear uh, war has changed. Well, then where is the president getting this information? Either he's betraying classified information or he's making stuff up. Now, with Joe, you never know. You never really know. But since they came out, since the president of the United States can declassify things simply by saying them, he uh, comes out and says... uh, the White House says he's not, uh, there's no, no change, then you got to assume that he's lying. Because if he was telling the truth, then everybody who works for the government would be then free to say, yeah, no, 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 we're really close. The president told the world, or rich donors, uh, so we can say it too. That's not how it happened. So which is it? Jake Tapper sat down with the President of the United States and didn't bother to ask. Jake Tapper sat down with the President of the United States for, what, 20 minutes? And managed to get no news out of it whatsoever. Nothing. It's almost embarrassing. I'm almost embarrassed for Jake. If Jake Tapper weren't a wildly unpleasant human being and an incredible narcissist, I would be embarrassed for him. But he deserves it. When I say that, if you've ever been critical of anything Jake Tapper related, even if you're not necessarily Jake Tapper related, if it's Jake Tapper adjacent, there's a decent chance, if you did it on Twitter, that you will get a message from Jake Tapper, a direct message, attacking you. How dare you? What kind of thing is it? Why, you know, I'm doing my job here and you're just blah, 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 blah. And it's like, dude, you're making my point. You're thin-skinned. You're wildly thin-skinned, and you're an incredible narcissist who won't stand up to any sort of criticism. When I got my 
Jake Tapper attack. I wasn't even making fun of Jake Tapper. I was making fun of the story that Jake Tapper had tweeted, which I don't believe he had reported. And he still went bananas. He went bonkers in my DMs like a child who just had their sucker taken away. <laughs> this is the new CNN. Maybe we need to get James Earl Jones to come in and read This is the new CNN. It sucks just like the old CNN. Maybe we can contract with the who. Meet the new CNN. Same as the old CNN. Except with Don Lemons in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's going to work. Since we're talking about people with uh, cognitive disabilities, let's talk about John Fetterman up there in Pennsylvania. He did his build as his first sit-down, in-person interview since his stroke. And you sit there and you go, wait a second, you've seen, you've heard Fetterman have interviews. Yeah, he's done interviews. But this is the first time they've done it in person. Of course, it was with NBC News. All of his interviews that I've seen have been with NBC News because Fetterman knows that the people of NBC News are not going to ask him difficult questions. Well, this, why it matters, I don't know. But it turns out that to do interviews with John Fetterman, you have to agree that he can use a teleprompter, that he can use uh, speech to text, that he can use closed captioning. So if you're asking him a question, uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman, you're, what is that giant growth on the back of your neck there thing? It'll be written on the computer screen in semi-real time, and he'll answer it based off of that. Now, I didn't know this. Nobody seems to have known this. And it seems to me to be a pretty big breach of journalistic ethics, if you can call what MSNBC does journalistic ethics, because they've interviewed Fetterman quite a few times and have never disclosed that if you want to interview Fetterman, you've got to let him use this thing so he can read his hand. He's going to be reading off a computer screen because it's unethical in that if he's reading your words off a computer screen and some sort of speech to text things, it's entirely plausible that he can have a staffer typing words for him to say at, uh, you know, off screen so that you can't see the screen. People don't know there is a screen and yet his answers aren't coming from him because the question really is that voters have, is, is this guy up to the job? And if he's reading, he can read. If he's reading... He's not really up to the job. I would argue that he's not really up to the job if he has to use, if he can't understand speech and he can't process speech, then that's pretty much the job of a United States. That's most, that's 95% of a job, a United States senator. So he therefore is not up to the job. Well, instead we get this now NBC News says we're going to we give him an interview. We're going to let him use this because we're in person. Now, if you go back and you watch the interviews of John Fetterman that MSNBC has conducted to this point, they've all been remote. They've all been via satellite. And if you watch Fetterman's eyes, you kind of thought, well, the guy's just blankly looking down, not looking at the camera. You begin to realize that he's reading. You begin to realize that they've always used this technology 
And then you have to wonder, why is it that Lawrence O'Donnell or uh, Stephanie Rule or any of these people didn't, you, didn't mention it to their audience? That he's going to read because you don't they don't want the audience to know this. They don't want the audience to be aware of his problems. They don't want the audience to know that he cannot do the job, that he does not have the capacity, the mental capacity to do the job. He might someday, but he's not going to unless he takes time off the campaign trail, actually probably take a couple years, and goes and does intense rehabilitation, which he should do if his wife, you know, loved him and cared about those things. She would insist that this is not the time you're going to have to do intense rehab. Instead, everybody around him kind of seemed to say, yeah, no, keep going. We'll cover for you. Don't worry about it. We'll cover for you, dude. Just uh, don't sweat it. So NBC News, this is NBC News, not MSNBC. There's a mild difference. And this clip's a little bit long, but I want to play it so you hear it in its entirety so there's no ambiguity, because they're still covering for Fetterman. And what do I mean by that? It's a three-minute clip. This is the entirety of the clip that aired on NBC Nightly News. There's the setup with Lester Holt. There's the talking with the reporter and so on and so forth. The entirety of it is, it's, I think it's 3 minutes, 14 seconds. It's pie. I believe there are two or three questions posed to Fetterman in it. There's a lot of voiceover. There's a lot of package material. There's a lot of things that are not an interview with Fetterman in it. And you're telling me that NBC News got a crew up to wherever the hell it is Fetterman was, set up everything, the whole thing, for a three-minute interview, for a five-minute interview? No, they didn't. There's a lot more to this interview that we have not been able to see. And I'm kind of curious to know what that is. I always want to see what the left doesn't want us to see because that's where the real interesting stuff is. And if this is the best they could mine out of a Fetterman interview, you got to assume it's like we'll give you 10 or 20 minutes or whatever. If this is the best they could mine out of it to make him look good, what the hell is the rest of it? You can judge for yourself, but listen to this guy. Mind you, when she asks a question, which she does, I think she asks two questions, maybe three, he's reading. So there's a bit of a pause, short pause, but he's reading the screen because he cannot process her speech. Pivotal Senate race in Pennsylvania now considered a toss-up. Our Dasha Burns spoke with Democrat John Fetterman in his first in-person sit-down interview since he suffered a stroke. And Dasha, this was not a typical candidate interview. No, Lester, because of his stroke, Fetterman's campaign required closed captioning technology for this interview to essentially read our questions as we ask them. And Lester, in small talk before the interview, without captioning, it wasn't clear he was understanding our conversation. Can voters trust that you will be able to do this job on day one? Yeah, of, of course. This is Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman's first in-person sit-down interview since a stroke sidelined him from the campaign trail for months. That auditory processing where I'll I'll hear someone speaking, but sometimes I'll be able to be uh, precise on what exactly that they're saying. I use captioning. His campaign required that he be allowed to use a transcription program on his computer during our interview. I always thought I was pretty empathetic, uh, uh, emphatic. 
uh, I think I was very, excuse me, empathetic. Uh, you know, that's an example of the stroke, empathetic. Yeah. I, I always thought I was very empathetic uh, before having a stroke. But now after having that stroke, I really understand, you know, much more kind of the challenges that Americans have day in and day out. So you say you're on the road to full recovery. But right now, voters really have to take your word for it. We've asked for your medical records. We've asked to have a conversation with someone from your medical team to interview your physician. You've declined those requests. Why? Well, I I feel like we have been very transparent in a lot of different ways. When our doctor has already given a letter saying that I'm able to serve and to to be uh, running. I mean, respectfully, that letter from your physician, that was six months ago. Don't voters deserve to know your status now? Being on in front of thousands and thousands of, of people and having interviews and getting around all across Pennsylvania, that gives everybody and the voters decide, you know, if they think that it's it's really the issue. Polls show Fetterman's lead is shrinking against Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz. It's now a toss-up race that could determine control of the Senate. Republicans focusing on crime. In particular, Fetterman's votes on the parole board. Fetterman says he's trying to get as many criminals out of prison as he can. Including votes in favor of paroling convicted murderers. Are you soft on crime? Uh, Of course not. I'm actually effective on crime. And I believe in second chances. uh, And I've run on that record. Meanwhile, Fetterman going after Dr. Oz on abortion rights. Dr. Oz likes to make fun of me that I might miss a word. But, you know, he's missed, you know, two words. And that is a yes or no on the national abortion uh, ban. If you're going to be our next senator, you have to give the answer. Lester Fetterman told us he is committed to debating Dr. Oz on October 25th, where he will also be using closed captioning. That's it. An entire interview you got set up, you asked three questions. Nothing nothing more than that. No. That's it. We're supposed to believe this guy is fit to serve, that this guy is ready to go, that this guy could do the job? Holy cow. That debate is going to be something else, and I would uh, just throw down right now that I'm going to put it on record. That debate won't happen. That debate will... They will find some way to blame Oz going, oh, Oz said uh, something horribly mean about me. And so we're going to do if the polls show. I have to wonder what the hell's wrong with Pennsylvania, to be perfectly honest with you. If the polls show Fetterman's still ahead, they'll find a way to drop out. Because he cannot do it. That is an a heavily edited piece by NBC News. And he still comes off as a guy you feel sorry for. You don't want to vote for. Now, what's funny and pathetic, not surprising, is how the left rallied to protect John Fetterman. Now, what do I mean by that? There were a lot of people on the left who saw that and especially heard the reporter say, you know what, he couldn't understand the small talk. And that's a bit of a problem, blah, blah, blah. And they all immediately went in on the left to try and protect Fetterman. Kara Swisher, who used to do a podcast for the New York Times. Now I think she does her own podcast, whatever. She's got 1.4 million Twitter followers. She's out there. Says, uh, 
Sorry to say, but I talked to John Fetterman for over an hour without stop or aids, and this is just nonsense. Maybe this reporter is just bad at small talk. He said, you know, he couldn't understand the small talk without the screen. It was pretty clear he couldn't do that. No, no, he's somehow not able to process it. No, no, he could process everything I said. We weren't asking him anything serious. And from there, journalist after journalist after journalist, and I use the term loosely, came running out to say, no, Fetterman is fine. I don't get it. Sarah, or no, Stephanie Rule responded saying, I've interviewed him and I made more flubs than he did. Well, in all honesty, Stephanie Rule is the stupid person there. So that's not entirely surprising, but it is a telltale sign of how things are. The people who have interviewed him, the people who have interviewed him while he's clearly reading a teleprompter, all sit around and say, hey, no, he's uh, he was fine when I talked to him. No, he wasn't. You lied to your audience. You lied to your audience about how he was reading it. He wasn't reading a teleprompter. You didn't tell anybody that. You let it slide. So then in, in trying to defend Fetterman, Kara Swisher goes on to say this. By the way, if we're going to judge folks by their verbal skills and zoning out, I have some internet billionaires you might want to meet. Most of them have all kinds of processing issues and seem to be doing just fine. Yes. Yes. She then said, uh, uh, people that I'm talking about probably have autism. So she's lumping them in, lumping Fetterman. He has brain damage. He has serious brain damage. He suffered a stroke. None of these people care about his well-being. They don't get me wrong. I don't particularly care about John Fetterman's well-being either. But it is worthy of note that you pay attention to these things. And you go, this guy's not up to the job. If you're somebody who claims to care about these people, then you should care about, hey, is this killing him? Is this setting him back? Is this preventing him from having a full recovery? Whatever the case may be. But instead, no, these are, no, no, I talked to him. There was no problem. Well, then release his medical records. What Would there be, uh, there'd be nothing to hide then? Let's have those medical records. Well, no, we can't possibly do that. Never, ever, under any circumstances. One left-wing journalist out there compared Fetterman's need to use closed captioning with Tammy Duckworth and Madison Cawthorn's need to use wheelchairs. Well, they're paralyzed. In Duckworth's case, she lost her legs in a helicopter crash. It is, uh, it's a little different. See, because you can get around in a wheelchair in the United States Senate and still do the job, whereas you can't really walk around with a giant computer strapped to your chest that does closed captioning. You can't really sit there at a hearing and have every word transcribed. What if your computer crashes? Is everybody supposed to come to a screeching halt? Oh, no, Derek, are you saying you shouldn't accommodate somebody? No. I'm saying that you shouldn't hire somebody to do a job who can't do the job, okay? Madison Cawthorn and Tammy Duckworth can be members of Congress because they can process speech and speak clearly without any aids or any uh, difficulty. Uh, they can't be billboard painters, all right? They're not going to be very effective roofers. Is that 
horrible? Am I a monster? Should I be advocating instead for the complete redesign of all roofs in the United States of America to make them flat roofs and then have hoist access to them so that they can, in fact, so that people in wheelchairs can be roofers? No, I'm sorry. There are just certain things that sometimes you can't do. I am six foot five. I couldn't serve on a submarine, I don't think. I wouldn't want to, but I couldn't because every time I've toured the two subs, not like every time, but two times I've toured subs, I have to walk around like I dropped a contact lens and I'm looking for it. And you still end up hitting yourself in the head because you look up, you stand up and boom, you do that. Now in a submarine, you need to move pretty quickly in times of emergency. I probably wouldn't be able to do that. I'd likely knock myself unconscious running around. I wouldn't want to be on a sub anyway. But that's beside the point. I will not demand, that's it, damn it. United States military needs to redesign every submarine out there to accommodate somebody who's not just six foot five, but what if, what if uh, Dikembe Mutombo, six foot or seven foot four or six or whatever the hell he is, what if Minute Bull, what if they want to, I think Minute Bull might have passed, but what if they want to uh, serve? They need to be accommodated. No, that's stupid. There are some things you just can't do for whatever reason. And the sooner you accept that, the better off you're going to be. Then you can focus on the other things that you can do. Maybe you can master one of those. But these leftists, these whiners, these frauds, these, they're circling the wagons trying to protect a guy who can't do the job. Tells you something about Democrats. Agenda uber alles, said in German on purpose. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things going on. Well, since we're on Joe Biden and we're on Fetterman and we're on people with uh, an inability to communicate who, for whom communication is a pretty big part of their job, let us pay a little visit to Karine Jean-Pierre. She is, of course, the White House press secretary. God, she's terrible at this job. It is embarrassing. Look, Joe Biden is embarrassing enough. He's, he's plenty embarrassing by himself. But for the love of God, you can... He was elected. There's nothing you can do about the president of the United States. But if you're sitting there and you're hiring somebody to be your mouthpiece, somebody who will be on camera more than the president of the United States, somebody who'd go out there whose job it is to go out there and sell the ideals of the administration, you can pick literally anybody. Why wouldn't you pick somebody who could do the job? Why wouldn't you pick a human being who is adept at communication, who is capable of speaking the language in a clear and concise way and who actually believes in the same things that you're advancing? I get it. I was a press secretary for a senator. There were things I had to sell that I didn't particularly, uh, wasn't excited about. But I wasn't elected. But for the most part, it wasn't that. If I had worked for a Democrat, it would have been. If I had worked for a Democrat, I'd have been out there going, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world, while inside I knew it was terrible. That's why I didn't work for a Democrat. That's why a Democrat didn't hire me, because they would have known that I'm standing there and I'm going, yeah, no, so uh, this welfare thing, yay, it's great. More people should be on welfare. We should bring in more illegal aliens. It would be wonderful. Nobody would believe me. That's why you hire somebody who already believes in the cause. Karine Jean-Pierre didn't believe in the cause. She didn't believe in the cause. She was a Bernie Sanders supporter. She came from Move On, 
Org. She was a radical leftist. Joe Biden has since come around to that, but apparently Corinne Jean-Pierre still doesn't care enough to familiarize herself with Joe Biden's positions. Corinne Jean-Pierre, who is historic, was hired because she was historic. Oh, is it controversial to say? Well, sometimes the truth is just wildly controversial because it's true. That's all she brings to the table. She was not a particularly effective pundit when she was still in the pundit game. Look up some of her old appearances on MSNBC and CNN when she was the mouthpiece for uh, Moron or MoveOn.org. She still couldn't string together a coherent sentence because she doesn't necessarily know what's going on or she doesn't care or maybe she's just too nervous. I don't know. But she's gotten worse. She's gotten worse as press secretary because, well, she doesn't believe in this stuff. She doesn't know where the president stands. She doesn't know where the Biden administration stands. I imagine that has to do with the Biden administration keeping her out of briefings. Keep her out of it. See, a good press secretary you got to have in the room as much as you humanly possibly can so that they can learn the issues just as well as the principal, as the president does. She's not there. She doesn't. She seems to show up and they hand her this binder and she goes out and tries to make sense of it. There isn't a question that she is asked that she doesn't flip around in that binder and look down and read her answers to her, struggle trying to read her answers to. She cannot read them. I don't know what kind of font they use. Maybe she's blind. Maybe they need a bigger font. I'm unsure. But whatever the case may be, it's not working. Because every single time she's out there, she comes off as an idiot. Maybe she is an idiot. Who knows? The first thing we have here is a duh moment and an irrelevant point you can tell that democrats are desperate and terrified of gas prices they literally are terrified of the american people looking at gas prices and recognizing that it's the fault of democrat policies it's caused by the biden policies executive orders of cutting off drilling so on and so forth making it impossible you're paying more at the pump because of joe biden so they create another measure what is it I always say about unit of measure? They create another measure. Gas from its peak. Gas at its peak. You're sitting there, what does that mean? Well, they're bragging that gas, even though gas has gone up again for the past three weeks, that gas is cheaper than it was at the peak. And therefore, you should be happy. When the real unit of measure is gas is about a buck and a half more per gallon than it was when Joe Biden took office kind of important statistic that Joe Biden's policies have added a dollar and a half to a gallon of gas. And now they're saying, well, at least it's not two and a half dollars. <laughs> is, that, is that, yeah, we punch you in the face, but we're left-handed and we're using our right hand. All right. So we could be using the, the Southpaw and really knock your block off, but we're taking it easy with our right hand, which we awkwardly throw punches with. So quit complaining. That seems to be their strategy. I'm not sure how well it's going to work. 
we, we've seen real disposable income and real consumer spending, both increase in part thanks to the strength of our job market. Uh, gas prices are down over $1 per gallon since their peak this summer. That's an overall decline of 22%. And we're giving families a little bit more breathing room. I just talked about the Inflation Reduction Act that's going to lower costs. <laughs> we're giving families a little more breathing room, said the person choking the life out of the families. Hey, you know what? You know what else would give families a little more breathing room? Take the pillow off their face. You know, you don't get credit for, you know, taking the pillow off their face just for a second. All right, quick, breathe in. Now I'm going to shove you back into the toilet. I'm going to shove you back into the sink. I'm going to put you underwater again. We're giving families a little more breathing room. Well, if you can give families a little breathing room, why not give them a lot of breathing room? Why not give us a lot of breathing You were beside yourself with joy as gasoline prices were approaching $3 a gallon. You were insisting that everybody hail Joe Biden as the savior of energy. Now gas is back approaching $4 a gallon, and suddenly things have changed. Suddenly it's like, hey, man, it's not as bad as it was when it was at its worst. Well, that's a hell of a diagnosis there. Look, I realize you're bleeding out of your arm there where you've been shot, but you, you came in, it was bleeding more. I mean, what do you want me to do? Stitch it up? What do you want me to do, solve the problem? What do you want me to do, quit making it worse? If I quit making it worse, what am I going to poke with this giant pointy stick? Huh? Jeez. She's really, really bad at her job. She's really bad at her job. If you haven't been paying attention or you, you blinked and missed it, out in Los Angeles, the city council president had to resign. Of over Well, she resigned as city council president. She hasn't resigned from the city council. She's Democrat. They're all Democrats. These are all Democrats. Uh, in a meeting of Hispanic members of the city council, it was uh, recorded and discovered that the city council president made racist remarks about children of another member. See, the, there's a white guy on the board. I don't know how he got the job. But he's on the, the, the city council there, too. And he has a, a black son. And the city council president was outraged at a lot of things <laughs> because he's, she's just an awful person. And um, she referred to him as a little monkey. A little monkey. That's racist. She thought she'd get away with it because she... Um, She's Hispanic. All the other city council members who were in on that meeting, nobody said anything. Nobody was outraged. Nobody did. They're, they just all kind of let it go because they were all in on it. They all thought it was cool. Now calls are coming for them all to resign, to actually step down from the city council. Because it's pretty weird. Like, I'm elected president, Nuri Martinez. I'm city council president. I resigned the city council presidency because of my racism. But I'm not resigning my seat because racism is totally cool with my constituents or whatever. Well, we'll see. Now calls are, they all should resign. And Karine Jean-Pierre, historic. Have I mentioned she's historic? She's a first. First lesbian, first woman of color. First immigrant to hold that position. Of course, the position isn't all that old, so it's not all that remarkable, but whatever. 
You got you can't celebrate her ability to do the job. You got to find something irrelevant to celebrate. She was asked about this, and she goes on to lie about it and saying Democrats hold their racists accountable. Republicans celebrate their racists. Uh, they should all step down. And here's the difference between Democrats and, and MAGA Republicans. When a Democrat says something racist or anti-Semitic, we would we we hold them. We hold Democrats accountable. When a MAGA Republican says something uh, racist and, or anti-Semitic, they are embraced by cheering crowds and become celebrated and sought after endorsements. Mm, who? Who? She's trying to imply that Donald Trump is a horrible racist and anti-Semite. And that's a pretty common theme on the left. You can say a lot of things about Donald Trump, but that really isn't one of them. Not if you're honest. We're not dealing with honest people, but not if you're honest. Um, that's not one of them. It's not. If he's an anti-Semite and a racist, he's really bad at it, and somebody needs to explain to him how to go about it. Whereas, on the other hand, when someone like an Ilhan Omar talks about uh, hopefully people will come to their senses and get out of that Jewish wicked spell and retake Israel, Rashida Tlaib says we need to go for, uh, get wipe out Israel completely. That anti-Semitism, not celebrated by Democrats, it's ignored, which is worse. <laughs> It's worth. Remember, they tried. Ilhan Omar talked about, oh, they just want that Jewish money. You know, it's all about the Benjamins with them Jews. And this was like the third time she'd said something rabidly anti Semitic. And so Nancy Pelosi was forced to do something, to acknowledge it. She said, all right, we're going to have a resolution condemning anti Semitism. It was a direct slam against Ilhan Omar, it was a direct refutation of Ilhan Omar. And what did the Democrats' Progressive Caucus in Congress do? They said, nope. You are not going to attack this Muslim woman. You are attacking her because she's a Muslim. What about all sorts of other... She didn't say anything that was wrong. Like, Yeah, she, she did. No, no, no. Instead of Nancy Pelosi being a principled human being, which she could have passed that resolution condemning it with... A majority of the Democrat votes, not exclusively Democrat votes, but a majority of Democrat votes and Republicans almost uniformly. They would have easily pushed that over. There would have been about 50 Democrats in the House of Representatives who voted no on that because they wanted to stand with Ilhan Omar and they don't particularly like Jews. Instead, what did Nancy Pelosi do? She pulled the resolution condemning anti-Semitism and she replaced it with a resolution condemning hate, where anti-Semitism was mentioned in, I believe, paragraph seven. It was it was mentioned after anti-Pacific Islander discrimination. Now it was about it came about it happened because of anti-Semitism, and they had to change it, and they buried anti-Semitism down in there because they were afraid of standing up to their own rabidly anti-Jewish base. They're terrified of it. That tells you something about Democrats, doesn't it? We, we condemn hate. We're not the specific hate that your, your, your people have been against. No, not, we, we, it's, it's in there. It's, we, we didn't, it's, it's bad. We said in paragraph 17a in footnote C, if you look down there, you get the jeweler's note, it says uh, anti-Semitism is bad. Oh, okay. 
Why can't you just condemn anti-Semitism? The only reason they passed the resolution they ultimately passed is because they had to pass something. They made too much of a stink about that they were going to condemn hate, to not condemn anything, to not do anything. So they had to. They had to go back and go, oh, crap. All right, we'll put together this resolution there. Otherwise, they would have ignored it. The story would have been Democrats, Republicans would have had to tell the story. But the story would have been Republicans uh, have pointed out that Democrats have uh, ignored this hate of their, their, uh, their members. So they had to pass something. They passed the most milk-toast, melba-toast, worthless resolution you could possibly imagine. And yes, though, Corinne Jean-Pierre, they hold, they hold them accountable, whereas MAGA Republicans, there's nothing. MAGA Republicans celebrate it. Well, all the Democrats, uh, all the racists, all the history of racism, really, all in the Democratic Party. So who are these Democrats that Republicans are actively seeking the approval of? I don't know. Seems weird. Of course, you would think that someone in the room might have asked that question. No one in the room asked that question because it was a White House press briefing, and that's just not it's not how journalism works these days. To put a fine point on uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, just to tell you how, uh, look, it's not the message she's being forced to convey. It's not that she's got to go out there and say, Democrats hold our racists accountable and Republicans don't. You know, it's not that she has to go out there and lie. Is that she's genuinely bad about this stuff. She's really particularly bad about this stuff. Now, what do I mean? She was asked about OPEC and their cutting of oil supplies and blah, blah, blah. And just listen, the message doesn't matter. The same garbage that she, we're disappointed, OPEC, blah. We're hoping we, all they'll do anything except for drill more. But listen to what she says. Her word choice. Most normal, smart people, even people of average intelligence, catch themselves when they say things as stupid as she's about to say. It's not that the content is stupid, but it's the wrong words. Wrong words everywhere. Uh, you heard from me, you know, last week. You've heard from my colleagues. This OPEC plus decision, uh, you know, on their energy policy uh, was indeed self-serving. And it's going to hurt, uh, you know, middle and low uh, economies, uh, countries across the country. And that is a problem. Well, middle and low economies, middle and low economies and countries across the country. I get it. You don't want to sit there and just constantly correct yourself. But at some point, you have to go, I just said something that means absolutely nothing and makes me look like I've suffered a closed head injury. I'm going to go circle back and correct that. That's all you got to do. But she doesn't do it. Why doesn't she do it? Because she doesn't seem to recognize that she did it in the first place. You can't correct yourself when you don't recognize that you were wrong. You don't recognize that you were wrong if you're not particularly bright to begin with. You see how that works. But she is historic, so she's got that going for her. We do have some updates on the uh, 
the butchering of children and the people who defend it. Also, I have the Pfizer executive admitting that they never tested for whether or not their shot protected against transmissibility of COVID. I don't know why anybody would be surprised by that, to be honest with you. They didn't have time for that sort of stuff. Um, Yeah, I can't really blame them. But I want to shift gears to this story because it is... I've said it before, I'll say it again. So much of sports journalism seems to be conducted by people who hate sports. Isn't that the way it is? It just seemed to hate... It used to be, look, people who uh, loved the game but weren't that good at it covered it because they loved the game. They wanted to be around it. They recognized that they weren't good enough to play it in college or in uh, the pros, but they wanted to be around that atmosphere. They they just were of that world, and that's what they liked to do. Now it's by people who were picked last, who were mad about the fact they were picked last, and are still feeling the pressure from the wedgies that they were given by the people who refused to pick them last. They've become miserable people. Or were they miserable people, and maybe that's why they were picked last? It uh, You don't know. But they don't seem to like sports at all. On Monday Night Football, Troy Aikman said something innocuous. And uh, the left, the sports media is going... And this isn't, by the way, this is the same thing on the right. You can't go to a conservative sports website without getting lectured about politics. Like what? I don't follow it. I don't, I don't care all that much about sports in general, but that outkick, Fox bought it. And they go, oh, they have that guy on there all the time. Like, I thought you were about sports because you don't really know that much about politics, but I thought you were about sports. And you can see the outkick tweets like, oh, this guy says Hillary Clinton. Says, There's nothing. Hillary Clinton should never be mentioned on a sports website ever, ever. It just shouldn't. Most of the politicians shouldn't, if they throw out the first ball and they do a particularly bad job, that's it. But if you want to whine about politicians, and that's fine, it's your right, then do it someplace other than a sports Or just say you're not just sports. You do sports, but you also mostly do politics. And you do politics now mostly because that's what you're paid to do. Okay, fine. But spare me that you're a sports website. Spare me that you care about sports if you're trying to get Troy Aikman fired from Monday Night Football because he made a comment that is not politically correct. Yes, that's right. And uh, it's a play. You can watch the the, uh, the play for yourself. You may have watched the, the play. Chris Jones, defensive lineman for the Chiefs, he hit Derek Carr, the quarterback, for the Raiders. From behind, released, he got the ball knocked loose, and Jones actually recovered the ball. It should have been a turnover. But because he came at him from the blind side, didn't hit him head-to-head, didn't take a cheap shot, actually just kind of grabbed him. More of an old-school tackle. If you watch football these days, there aren't that many people, if there are anybody, who maybe on a running play. There is the only time you actually see tackling. What you see nowadays is the defensive backs hurling themselves at receivers, just just flowing their ball, running as fast as they can and flinging themselves at these people in the hopes of knocking the ball loose, 
breaking some bones, hurting the other person, whatever it is. I don't get it. It's it's not particularly enjoyable because a lot of times they just bounce off of them and and keep running. It's like, well, you probably should have, I don't know, tried to grab the guy rather than try to break his rib cage with your helmet. Just just saying. Well, Aikman, the play was ruled roughing the passer. Why? I don't know. It wasn't roughing the passer. The passer wasn't roughed at all. And the ball was turned back over to the Raiders. Aikman watching this. Aikman knows a thing or two about this. He played this position for a very long time. Well enough to make it into the Hall of Fame, as a matter of fact. And I think they won uh, back-to-back Super Bowls as well in the early 90s. So Troy Aikman knows what he's talking about. Listen carefully to this play-by-play. Yeah, I would say you'd try and spot what people are so upset about, but you get it. It's at the end. It's the comment about the dress. Play again. The ball comes out right there. And the ball is possessed by Jones. He's going to the ground with Carr. His body's there. It's just where it It is. It's too much. I mean, my hope is the competition committee looks at this next set of meetings and you know we take the dresses off yeah my hope is the competition committee looks at this in the next set of meetings and you know we take the dresses off innocuous stop being little girls wasn't a roughing the passer thing look and this is somebody troy aikman had his share of concussions i think he probably had a shorter career than he otherwise would have because of the concussions that he had and he's certainly not out there hoping to see Derek Carr or any quarterback or anybody get hurt from the, the booth. Oh, man, I hope they knock that guy's block off and he has to be taken off on a cart. That's not what he's doing. He's pointing out that at a certain point, you can wussify football to the point that it's not football anymore. It's not fun. My dad can barely watch football anymore, not because the game has changed or even because what I was complaining about about people – just hurling themselves at others trying to hurt them. It's because everything is reviewable and every other play seems to have a flag on it. The referees don't let them play. This is an example of the referees not letting them play. It was a clear turnover. But the left has gone berserk about how this is sexist from Troy Aikman and they want justice. They demand justice. They demand he be fired or whatever, or re-educated or whatever it is. He must be destroyed. Rachel Shalom Lobdell or Lobdell, whatever the hell her name is. She's the editorial director at Fortune Magazine. You think, well, Fortune, conserv- no, there's nothing that is conservative. Unless it's expressly conservative, it's liberal. She writes, a truly awful call, but let's not overlook Troy Aikman's sexist comment. And then she quotes Troy Aikman. The guy who covers the NFL for USA Today, Mike Freeman. He's the guy who wrote the piece about the the hate crime hoax from the uh, volleyball player saying, no, it's got to be true. It's probably true anyway. Doesn't matter. It rings true. Says you can't make your point without uh, talking about dresses, Aikman. 
They demand their pint of blood. They demand justice. For what? What did Troy Aikman say that was so bad? Didn't say anything. Host of Cash In, podcaster, talks about sports. Did Troy Aikman really just say that, what he said? Did he really just say that it's time for the league to take uh, the dresses off? The 60s called. They want their chauvinists back. Seriously, ESPN, do better than that crap. Huh. I don't feel like take the dresses off is the euphemism ESPN wants Troy Aikman to use when criticizing a uh, weak roughing the passer call. I'm sorry for your loss there. Perhaps you should, I don't know, wipe your nose, quit whining like a little baby. God, I wish I could just say what I really want to say. But you can imagine whatever it is, the worse it is, the more foul the language, the more accurate it is as to what I would like to say. And this is an example of where we are. We used to be able to go to the sports world and what? Escape. You used to be able to say, all right, our game is on. I don't have to think about the crap I got to do. I don't have to. I don't even have to I'm going to stop doing yard work. I'm not going to do any. I'm going to sit and watch the game. Now it is a bunch of leftists who hate the sports, hoping desperately to find somebody to call out so they can feel morally superior. See, these people who failed in life and at sports want to find something, need to find something at which they feel morally superior to the people who do the things that they wish they could do, but they're simply not talented or gifted enough to do. That's what they want. That's what this is. They picked me last. Well, I'm going to ruin them. I'm going to make sure Troy Aikman has to do some sort of mea culpa. And I promise you, these people will not stop. And I wouldn't be surprised if I had money to bet on this and I were betting on it. I'd say that the next Monday Night Football, Troy Aikman apologizes. I suspect that the pressure will mount to the point that Troy Aikman will be forced to apologize. ESPN will say, hey, you got to do it. Now, I hope that doesn't happen. I'd really like them to try and Troy Aikman say, you can go to hell. I'm not going to apologize for that. Get over yourselves. And they make him either shut the hell up and get past it, get over it, or fire him. Let them try to fire him. Try and morals clause that one. Morals, they have morals clauses in all these contracts that if you're, you're caught with a prostitute on the road or something, they say, well, that's a clear violation of the morals clause. Or you're beating your wife or your kids. That's a violation of the morals clause. You're fired. Saying something that upsets hypersensitive leftists would not violate a morals clause under any shape or form whatsoever. So I would love to see, because then they would have to pay him out. Now, I don't get a piece of Troy Aikman's action, but I would love to see them have to pay him out if they tried to fire him over this, if they did fire him over this. I don't think they will, because Troy Aikman's pretty good at his job. But they will try to get him to apologize. And I hope Troy doesn't take the bait. I hope he stands up and says, uh, go to hell. Not interested. Not interested. That'd be lovely to see. It'd be nice if somebody's got to stand up and say enough of this crap. Somebody in a position of being attacked, a corporate board member, a CEO, an athlete or something. Somebody just got to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to play your game. Get over it. Because every time it has happened, not super high profile, but people just simply refuse to apologize. You know what happens is the left wing mob moves away. They go away. 
They go on to somebody else. They go on to the next thing. Then, of course, the next thing, the next person goes, oh, geez, I'm sorry. I don't, don't be mad at me. I apologize. And so it doesn't actually build momentum. The only way to really crush this is not just for Troy Aikman to stand up to it or any one person to stand up to it. It's for Troy Aikman to stand up to it and then the next person stand up to it and the next person stand up to it and you build that momentum where they're all going to, you know what, hell with you. I'm not going to apologize for you. to you. I'm not going to apologize. I'm not interested. Go someplace else. They'll eventually have nowhere to go. Or they'll turn on themselves. I do love a good left-wing on left-wing violence. I do love the idea of these people turning on each other. That's good stuff. Let them inflict themselves, like what's happening in Los Angeles, where, oh, these Hispanic members are being forced and pressured to resign. Oh, they said something. They did say something racist. They said something that they would be uh, standing outside with torches and pitchforks outside of your home if you said it. So why should they be treated any differently? Now, I think it's ridiculous in a lot of cases. I think most of this stuff is garbage. But you know what? When it comes home to roost, when those chickens come home to roost, I'm all in favor of it. Take your own medicine. Love a God and suffer. Okay, so now we want to turn to these people who are just the face of evil. As they sit there, they try and ruin sports. They try and ruin everything, movies, TV shows, whatever. They're actually out there trying to murder children, butcher children, not murder. I want to play you this clip. There's a couple of clips here about these people. that They're making contradictory arguments on everything that they can. It's a bizarre thing to watch. But you have to recognize it. You have to cut through all of this crap to the core and the core is that these people are making a ton of money off of it they're making a ton of it sounds cynical and that's very simplistic derek yeah it, 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 you boil it down to it they're making a ton of money at it do they believe that they're doing evil no they don't they think they're doing the lord's work because of their politics and everything but none of them are doing it pro bono none of them are doing it pro bono even horrible lawyers who you see on TV and you sit there and you go, oh, there's that guy suing again. Oh, that guy's... They will take pro bono cases. They will go, all right, uh, for this one, I'm going to do it for free. These doctors aren't doing this for free. Oh, we care so deeply. Here, fill out this form and make sure you have your insurance card to find out exactly how much I care. Okay? No, you don't have insurance? Oh, uh... You, you, oh, I can't help you then. I'm sorry, but you can probably go to, I don't know, Canada or something. Maybe they'll help you. Just seems weird, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Anyway, this was a uh, a TED Talk out in California. This is, the, uh, this is a doctor from Stanford's Children's Hospital. Remember, doctors are supposed to take the, the, the Hippocratic Oath. Hippocratic Oath begins, first, do no harm. This doctor is... Now, also keep in mind that we're told that underage children, minors, are not having gender reassignment surgeries. Uh, 
Despite all the evidence to the contrary, despite doctors on their websites saying, look at this 15-year-old girl. We removed her breasts, and now she's a boy, and it's wonderful, and she's so happy. And they, they post pictures of before and after. And you're sitting there going, but, but I thought this didn't happen. No, 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 no. It's different. This is, uh, this is just cosmetic. No, that girl will never breastfeed her children. Now, if you're giving her hormone blockers, she'll never have kids either. But, you know, that's kind of an important distinction you've got to make but they still insist that this doesn't happen to minors well listen to this doctor insist that it doesn't well she doesn't insist that it doesn't happen to minors she tells you that it's happening to minors gender reassignment surgery or gender affirming care it doesn't happen with minors but she's describing it happening to minors and then saying so then why shouldn't we be able to do this to my why shouldn't we able to finish it We've already ruined the body parts with hormone retreatments and puberty blockers. Why can't we go in and slice things off that we've rendered useless? It's just wrong. But remember, it doesn't happen to minors. As transgender people are more openly being able to seek therapy, the demand for transgender surgery has increased by five-fold over the past five years. And... One may think that the preservation of surgery is a valid one, but in reality, it's not very relevant or valid. 18 is the age in which minors are protected from making permanent decisions about their reproductive health because the thought is then at 18, they can decide what they would like to do. However, if as soon as pubertal blockers were added, and then estrogen was added to her therapy, Avery's testes never developed. In fact, she does not make any sperm. And her reproductive capability to be a biological parent has been eliminated. Her testes are non-functional. And in medicine, don't we often recommend the removal of non-functional organs, like an appendix? So therefore, does it make sense for Avery to wait until she's 18, or should older adolescents be allowed to have surgery before the age of 18? I imagine this is what, if we found old tapes of Joseph Mengele, that's what these would sound like. We've rendered this part of their body useless, this child, this 14, this 15-year-old. Shouldn't we be able to slice it off? I mean, come on, why make them wait? It'll never work again. Well, I thought that uh, puberty blockers were reversible and harmless. Well, no, but still, whatever. That is just pure evil right there. Now, she sits there and says, it's increased fivefold ever since we can talk about this. More. No, ever since you guys made it trendy. You made it trendy. You made face piercings trendy, and those are really stupid. And what do you see? You see a bunch of idiots running around with face piercings. People made stretching their earlobes out. Super trendy. They look like idiots. Oh, I got a Frisbee in there. I got a a lunch plate just in case I ever get hungry. I got my built-in plate right here. And, you know, your ears aren't going to go back. So congratulations. I would never hire anybody with a visible neck tattoo or face piercing or a... uh, stretched out earlobe or whatever it is whatever they come up with next they will find something else to come up with and it'll be trendy and people will do it and then the trend goes away all these people these idiots covered in tattoos head to toe 
And you go, oh, that's super great. Now, uh, it's really good that when you're, uh, I don't know, working in a record store at 18 years old that you got the uh, your favorite band there tattooed right on your neck. What are you going to do when you're 40? Just buy nonstop turtlenecks? Or are you stuck in the uh, food service slash independent record store industries in perpetuity? Because those seem like your only options. Face tattoos. I watched this show. I highly recommend it. it is, it's trash. It is mindless trash. And the people on it are pathetic. But it's... I don't know. It's it's like watching a train wreck. You can't turn away from it. It's called Love After Lockup or Life After Lockup. It's after the After Lockup series. There's a bunch of After Lockup shows. And these morons, of course, they're in prison for meth and burglary and uh, car theft and attempted murder or manslaughter, whatever it is. And you can tell who's got a chance of making it when they come out. And who doesn't? It's about idiots who fall in love with prisoners. But there's a lot more to it than that. You can tell who's got a shot at having a normal life and staying out of prison and who doesn't based on the number of tattoos that are visible on that person at all times. Women, who they have these giant cleavage tattoos. And it's just like, that is so gross. You sit there and you go, you're living in a trailer. You're living in a trailer and you've got I don't know, the cost of a trailer in tattoo work on your chest. And you've got five kids from four different fathers. And like, gee, why isn't life working out for you? It's just so unfair. And you get these guys. There's this one guy now who's a, an ex-boyfriend of somebody who's basically a prostitute or was a prostitute or whatever. She may or may not be back on her OnlyFans setting up dates thing. It's unclear. But this guy, she's in love with him. Oh, she's married to somebody else. But she's in love with this guy. He's the one that got away. He didn't really get away. They both went to prison. It's not like he got away. Like, oh, he met. He was cheating on her. But then they also both went to prison. So it's like complicated relationship. That's the very definition of it's complicated and why that exists on Facebook. And he's out of prison now, and you get a look at him, and his face is just tattooed. They've got random words on his face. He's just an absolute idiot. And you sit there and you say, no, these people, they're stupid. They're stupid. They did something that was trendy, and they just got it too far out, and they've ruined their whole lives. Now, they're adults. If that's what you want to do, do it. But when it comes to a 14-year-old... No, you don't get to do that. Think about what you were when you were 14 years old and what you wanted to be when you grew up when you were 14 years old and how you thought of things when you were 14 years old. And I guarantee you, you'll sit there and you go, my God, I was the dumbest person on the planet when I was 14 years old. Why? Because you were the dumbest person on the planet when you were 14 years old. And here's this doctor saying, well, it's trendy now and we get more and more and we shouldn't we be able to butcher them? Why should you got the hormone blockers? You got what are they if they're testicles on that girl? God, I can't believe we're talking about things like that. A medical professional. The testicles on that girl are worthless. What does it matter if they're there until she's 18? It doesn't. But you know what? You can't do if you have to wait. If you have a 14 year old. And you want to remove the testicles of and you can't do it till she's 18 and she might well she might change her mind but also you can't bill for removing the testicles off of a 14 year old 
till they're 18. That's four years down the road. They, like I say, they could change their mind. Whatever it is, your bank account is late, that 20 grand or whatever it costs. It's just not right. First, do no harm to my bank account, apparently. But it's very trendy right now. This story from the Daily Caller shows just how trendy it is. Maryland's largest public school district saw a 582% increase in the number of students identifying as gender nonconforming in just two years, according to internal data posted to an educator's Twitter page. Montgomery County schools gathered this data from forms school counselors fill out when students approach them to talk about gender identity issues. Because the number rely on self-reporting, the near sevenfold increase from 2019 to 2022 could indicate a massive increase in the number of gender-diverse students, an environment that encourages these students to be more open with counselors or both. Or it could just be that it's trendy. And it's really easy to say, look, if you're just a kid, most kids, except for maybe the star athletes or something, will feel pretty left out. Oh, I'm nothing. I'm just a fish in a school of fish. This is terrible. Nobody's noticing me. I'm not special. Everybody has those thoughts. Why? Because you're an idiot when you're a teenager. You think you know everything and you know nothing. So you got a real easy fix. Now, there are choices. You could get some attention. There are lots of ways to get attention. You could earn that attention. You could, I don't know, go out for sports. You could practice your ass off. You could uh, go out for the school play. You could do all sorts of things. You could do anything you wanted to do to try and get attention. Or, that since that sounds an awful lot like work, a lot of calories burnt doing these sorts of things, you could just go... You know what? I'm I'm gender non-binary. I'm gender non-conform. I'm gender fluid. I'm bi, and then everybody has to go. And my pronouns are this. And suddenly you're the weird kid with the uh, made-up pronouns. And you'll be a hero to some people, and you'll be like thought of as a weirdo to others. But the best thing is, the people who think you're a weirdo can't say anything because you could ruin them. All right. Anybody says, hey, weirdo, shut They suddenly have committed a hate crime and they will need to do detention and be reeducated thoroughly. And there'll probably be a local news report about the hate crime perpetrated on you, which makes you even more special. And see, the thing is, you don't have to act on it. I'm bisexual. All right, then go make out with that guy. Ew, gross. You're not really bisexual then, okay? You're just screaming for attention. When the barrier to entry is nothing, you will get a whole bunch of people who have nothing else going for them and who have been told there's no point in trying to get ahead and you're racist or you're a victim of racism, whatever it is. The whole country sucks. You're sitting there going, my God, I'm a horrible racist. I'm a monster. Perhaps history's greatest. What am I supposed to do? I know I can make myself special. I can make myself special. Yeah. Declare yourself to be a girl. Go out for sports. Get a scholarship earmarked for a girl. Watch feminists cheer you, which is one of the funniest things in the world. The fact that there's this split in the feminism community because they fought long and hard to get girls sports and girls scholarships and girls are being treated just the same as boys. And now they say, wait, we got to treat boys just the same as girls. We got to treat boys like they actually are girls. This sucks. They're getting scholarships that we want, that we fought for. 
And there's, you know, the feminists who are like, well, you know what, agenda uberalis. And there are some feminists who are really only in it for the feminism. They thought they were fighting for women, whereas the other ones knew that they were fighting for a cause, the progressive cause, and all the tentacles that come along with it. I love watching it. I love it when bad things happen to bad people. These aren't really bad things, but they definitely are bad people. And it's throwing a monkey wrench in their gears, and they don't know what to do. And then you get these sick doctors going, you know what we need to do? We need to just continue to butcher. We need to be able to butcher children completely. We've already ruined their bodies. They'll never have kids. And now we need to be able to bill their insurance for going in and finishing the job. You talk about the very definition of sick people. It does not get any sicker than that. I have one more piece of audio in the uh, child butchering world. And it's amazing to me how many of these people there are. You see, suddenly, everybody, every one of these doctors, every one of these people who you know, theoretically went to medical school and were relatively smart, came out and said, you know what, I don't know what a boy is anymore. I don't know what a man is anymore. I don't know what a woman is, a girl. I don't, it just all could be anything. Uh, yeah, no, all of that stuff just goes the way of the dodo. Do you think they all just woke up one day? Or do you think they just don't care? It's about politics. When you get a medical school that I told you about last week, uh, pledging allegiance to indigenous people's medicines from 500 years ago. Oh, just just eat some berries. You know, Doc, it's a tumor. Yeah, no, but eat some berries. Look, the ways of the noble Native American in medicine are just as valid as evil, white, racist Western medicine. In fact, more valid in some ways. So, yeah, I'm still going to bill you the amount of money that I would have charged you had I removed the tumor. But this time you get to eat some nice berries. So, you know, there you go. Congratulations. God, the medical professional is going straight to hell. This is another medical doctor. She runs the gender clinic at the University of Alabama. Now, what do you think that's going to be? Where do you think she's going to go? How many people do you think she's going to talk to and say, you know what? You don't need the overpriced surgery. I don't want to bill your insurance. I'm not going to do this. How many do you think that is? Not many. Her name is Marissa Landinsky. During her talk at a recent conference of physicians, this was uh, recorded on somebody's iPhone, she recounts a 14-year-old transgender student who killed herself. And it's not that she's exploiting this girl's death, although it is that she's exploiting this girl's death. It is the weird, kinky, almost erotic way in which she refers to a 14-year-old throwing herself in front of a truck. Now, I think the first clue that this 14-year-old was suffering some, some sort of mental breakdown is, frankly, I think you could probably diagnose every 14-year-old of at some point in their 14-year-ness. It's the way that she describes it. It's bold. It's just bold. It's just so bold, so brave, so daring. And now you, you, you think, okay, maybe she slipped up. No, she says it twice. She says it twice. Listen to her. And in the final days of 2014, a local 16-year-old young lady, Lula Elkhorn, of trans experience, stepped boldly in front of a tractor trailer ending her life. 
her suicide note, written to post on social media about an hour after her death, went viral, literally, around the world. Now, Leela was not my patient, but I took care of hundreds of her classmates at Kings Mills High School. But each day, on the way to work, I passed that spot where this teen boldly ended her life, pleading. She's bold. She boldly ended her life. She's bold. She boldly did it. I was wrong. She was 16, not, not uh, 14. Not a whole lot of difference. But she boldly ended her life. Oh, my goodness. She's so bold. So incredibly, incredibly bold. You're a sick woman. These are sick people. Oh, we founded the uh, the ch- the gender clinic. Okay. Well, what do you how, under normal circumstances? What are you going to get? Five patients a year. But if you can say, oh no, everybody is anything you're questioning. Kids, bring your parents. Bring your kids in. Come on in, everybody. Come on in. The water's fine. Don't worry about this. Come on in. Come on in. We'll fix you. Anybody feels awkward about their lives, anybody feels unhappy about their life, maybe maybe it's because you're in the wrong body. Come on in. And suddenly, recruiting, you get more people. It's weird how that works, isn't it? This is how the left works. This is what these people do. They're creating this problem. They're making it trendy. And it's look, it's it's it'd be harmless if kids were just running around schools going, No, I'm not a girl, I'm a boy, or oh, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. But then you add in the brainwashed, woke, virtue signaling parents who go, Oh, we need to get them to a, a clinic right away and start them on hormone. But what if they start puberty? We need to block their puberty. No, you're you're evil. You're a sucker, you parents. But you're also evil on top of it. You run to evil and say, oh, please take care. Make sure that my child's testicles never descend. Is there a way that we can dry up her ovaries at any point before? Can we do? What can we do? We need to have top surgery. We need to get rid of her breasts before they develop. It'll save her so much anguish in the future. Like, Wow. You need to have your children taken away from you. These people who are performing these things on children need to be imprisoned. I'm not one to call for prison, but these people need to be imprisoned. Let's be honest. They are butchering it. What did? What is the difference between what they're doing and what Nazis did to uh, experiment on people in concentration camps? What, what What's the difference between these doctors and Joseph Mengele? Well, these doctors have a nice office and the public can come in. The, the, uh, the Nazi doctors, they didn't have to recruit patients. They weren't taking insurance. The government was throwing them their victims. Now the government is helping recruit their victims and the insurance companies are paying for it and the government is mandating that they pay for it. And you got prisoners, a, a child rapist, I think in the state of Washington was uh, sued the state and won because they had denied him or they were too slow in doing the uh, the gender reassignment surgery. And you're just like, what in the hell is wrong with society? There's a lot wrong with society. 
and it keeps getting worse, but it starts with Democrats. It really does. The progressive mindset that they have said, if you agree with any of this thing, if you disagree with anything we're pushing, if you have anything, you are a problem. You are a monster. You are a danger. You need to be shut up. You need to be destroyed. And you're sitting there going, what in the hell? Where do these people live? Where do these people come from? How do they manufacture them? And how is it that it's uniform? One party. There's, you're telling me. Because you'll find some Republicans who will go, well, you know what? I, uh, I, I've always voted Republican. And I didn't believe this until it happened to my daughter. Now I know she's super happy. She's nine years old and we call her Tommy. And it's just wonderful. You'll find those Republicans. What you won't find is any single Democrat out there, not a one, saying, you know what, I'm uncomfortable with this. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense that suddenly there's a 700% increase in the number of people and they got to learn new pronouns and you're, you're saying suddenly biology doesn't matter or biology is somehow racist or sexist. Or you sit there and you, you hear all these things, you'd think somebody over there would go, not kosher. I don't know. Uh, this is not, I'm going to pump the brakes on this. But you don't hear it. You don't hear it. You don't hear a single Democrat dissent. Now, you hear a bunch of Democrats who don't say anything about it, which really is, if you want to take the left's rule that they try and impose on everybody else, silence equals consent. Silence is violence. If in the face of evil like this, you recognize it as BS, as garbage, as dangerous, as butchering the bodies of children, and you see that and you go, not going to say anything. There's too much. I would catch too much hell if I pointed out that this is garbage and dangerous and you shouldn't probably perform a hysterectomy on a 12-year-old girl. So if you allow that to happen, if you in your silence, you are just as evil, if not more evil, because you're doing it for your own political gains. But make no mistake, at the root of this, no matter which path you go back up, you find evil. So you listen to these people, and tomorrow I'm going to get into this story about uh, assisted suicide up in Canada. Really is amazing. A woman discovered that her son was not terminally ill and set up an appointment to kill himself in Canada. It was a relatively easy thing to do. And there are a lot of people doing it. Imagine the horror. You find out that your kid has set up an appointment to die because they're depressed, because they're sad, whatever the reason. Not because they're dying, just they just don't want to live anymore. Just not interested. It is nuts. It is insane. It is evil. It is what the left has become. Meanwhile, they're micromanaging everything. Everything they can come up with. This story from The Blaze. Democratic California Governor Gavin Newsom recently signed a California Assembly Bill 2098, which will punish doctors who dare discuss what the government deems to be misinformation about COVID-19 with their patients. Under AB 2098, Excuse me, which was introduced by Democratic Assembly member Evan Lowe, physicians and surgeons can be charged with unprofessional conduct for, quote, disseminating information or disinformation related to COVID-19, including false or misleading information regarding the nature and risks of the virus, its prevention and treatment, and the development, safety, and effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccines, end quote. That is the law. 
You will not be allowed to discuss things that you, we do not find acceptable with your patients. Now, you can't, what do they say? Every, you should be able to have an abortion right up until the point that the kid signs up for Social Security because that's a decision between the woman and the doctor, a woman and the doctor, a woman and the doctor. Well, stay out of there. Get government out of the medical decisions. But now make sure that you don't say anything or else the full force of government shall come down upon you. Existing state law requires the Medical Board of California and the Osteopathic Medical Board of California to, quote, take action against any licensed physician or surgeon who is charged with unprofessional conduct. The new bill has now designated alleged, quote, misinformation or disinformation related to COVID-19, including false or misleading information regarding the nature and risks of the virus, its prevention and treatment, and the development, safety, and efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines as unprofessional conduct, which could result in license revocation. They want to take away doctors' licenses. Isn't that interesting? If you say anything about the vaccines. Well, what? Uh, two years ago, we were told what? The vaccines are wildly effective. It is wonderful. Holy cow. It's the only way to end, end COVID is to get the shot. Now what? We're finding out that it's, it's not all that effective. And the variants, even against the variants, even against the original one, it wasn't all that effective. Huh? That's weird. So... What was, quote, disinformation two years ago, a year ago, is now scientific fact. But if you'd said it back then under this law, you would have lost your medical license. Isn't that right? Isn't that the way? Isn't that just grand, these Democrats? They know better. Oh, they don't want any say what's a, go ahead and have an abortion. Do it. We'll, we'll pay for it, but we don't want to have it. We don't want to know what's going on. We'll look away. Here's the credit card. We'll look away. Now, anything else, we want to be right there in the room. Oh, by the way, parents, we're in the room if your kid says uh, at seven that they're a boy when they're really a girl. We're in the, you wait in the waiting room. We've got this. We're going to butt in here. But uh, because that's not even your business. They're our children. They're all our children, society's children. Oh, but if your doctor says, you know what, you're 25 years old, you're, you're generally healthy. And the risks of heart complications is too great. You don't need to get the shot. You can lose your medical license. The face of evil. Now, what the, the again, since we're talking about it, down at the European Parliament, they noticed this, and a member of the European Parliament went ahead and asked an inconvenient question to a, of a Democrat. Not allowed to do that, or of a liberal, not a Democrat, of a Pfizer executive the basic question hey all the testing that you guys did on the vaccines did you test to find out whether or not it prevented transmission because if you remember what were we told it's the only way to prevent transmission gets shot it's the only way for your grandma if you're going to go see your grandmother your grandfather whatever you better have the shot or else you're going to give them covid well pfizer says no we never tested for that they didn't have time. They didn't have time. Fauci lied about it. All of our government officials lied about it. Are they going to lose their medical license? Is California going to go after them? No. Listen to this exchange from the European Parliament. Was the Pfizer COVID vaccine 
tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market. If not, please say it clearly. If yes, are you willing to share the data with this committee? And I really want a straight answer, yes or no, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. And from that point of view, we had to do everything at risk. Nope. We didn't test it. We didn't say, but that didn't stop Fauci, that didn't stop the NIH, it didn't stop the CDC, it still doesn't stop from saying, no, no, it will, it, uh, it's effective, it'll stop the spread. Remember Fauci said that the virus dies with you, dies in you, You're, you st- it stops with you, it stops in you. Rachel Maddow, spreading wild disinformation, famously said that the virus, the only way to stop the spread was to get the shot. You get the virus in you, and that vaccine kills it, and you can't give it to anybody else. Will there be any consequences for these lies? Well, Rachel Maddow's whole life has been a lie. she That's what she does. She's not going to face any consequences for that. But Fauci, she took her lead from Fauci. She took her marching orders from Na- uh, Fauci, like a good little Nazi. Fauci will face no consequences. Rachel Maddow didn't know. She, she had no reason to know that Pfizer didn't even test this. Fauci did. Fauci knew. Is Fauci going to take face any consequences from any of this? No, he won't. He's going to retire as the highest paid member of the federal government, employee of the federal government, making almost a half million dollars a year. His net worth went up by $5 million over the past two years. How about yours? How much did yours go up? I'm betting not by $5 million. He will get a $10 million book deal. He will be lionized and speeches for a half a million dollars for the rest of his miserable life. And he knew full well that they didn't test for this. He lied about it. No consequences for leftists. He's on the team. All right, that's enough for today. Have a a great one. I got stuff to do. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Thank you for listening.